Game week is finally here. After all the time of waiting, we can finally sit back and enjoy some college football this season. So let's go over some of these week one games and what to expect from college football this season. What's up, everybody? Well, we're finally here. It's game week. I'm recording this on Wednesday afternoon, September 1st, and tomorrow we have games. We got NC State at South Florida, Ohio State at Minnesota. I I think we got UCF at Boise State. So literally tomorrow, I'm kicking off the season. Now, the season really did start last week. We had some interesting week zero games. Gosh, Nebraska looked... (laughs) terrible and it was cool to see Brett Bielema back in college football that's always fun especially back in the Big Ten where he quote-unquote belongs as many people have been saying Uh, before I get into anything further on college football uh, it's time to look at something that's pretty funny I love comedy I would love to keep things funny on this show and there's a story that (laughs) I just think is hilarious so You all see that ESPN puts on a lot of high school football games, especially early in the season, right? You've got some of these big-time matchup type of games, and a few weeks ago I saw the IMG Academy versus uh, American Heritage game. That was great. A lot of future college players. Um, As a Florida State fan, I was interested in that game because there's several Florida State commits and some prospects and just some great, great players in that game, and it it was uh, fun to watch that type of talent on a high school football field. A lot of those guys literally could be starting on college rosters right now. So it's crazy to see how far the high school game has come. But as I was saying, you see these high school games on TV all the time. And usually it's, you know, big, big schools with a lot of talent playing another school that's big with a lot of talent. A lot of times it's schools from different states playing each other, right? A great program in one state traveling and taking on another great program in another state to have a more even matchup, which is, you know, better for TV, better for all that stuff. Well, IMG Academy <laughs> went to Ohio to play Bishop Skamore. Am I saying that right? Skamore? And long story short, there's articles about it. You can go read it. it basically, this was I don't know if a fake game is the right word, but this Bishop Skamore program had no business playing IMG and they're like some charter school that I guess went like 0-6 last year they're not good and apparently it wasn't ESPN's fault technically like a marketing agency like put the game together and essentially this Bishop Skamore school lied about their roster and the caliber of it in order to get this game they also played a game on Friday that the IMG game was on Sunday and they played a game on Friday and then turned around and played this IMG game on Sunday. 
and over 15 players played in both of those games, which is really dangerous and not healthy. Football is not meant to be played more than once a week, let alone twice in three days. I don't care what level it is. That's that's just insane. And I don't know whether to be mad or kudos to this school for trying to get some recognition, but really weird. And hopefully this sets up in the future where marketing agencies and ESPN and schools themselves can do a little more investigating and prevent this from happening. But I'm not here to really talk about this story, but just the comedy of it that a high school football team basically finessed its way into having this big game that was broadcast on national television. Of course, they got beat like 58 to nothing. But so I don't know how exactly that benefits them. But anyway, super funny. Reminds me of the time, and I've been seeing these tweets going around when there was that one player, forget his name, some sort of lineman who did this whole commitment video on ESPN, and it was like all a hoax. He committed to Cal like live on TV, and (laughs) that wasn't real. Cal had never heard his name. He wasn't even like being recruited by any big schools. So funny that these things are able to happen. But anyway, just wanted to touch on that real quick. It's hilarious. A couple quick more announcements before I really get going here. One, if anyone has been paying uh, attention on Twitter or followed the Facebook page, you'll notice that I um, put out a ticket giveaway contest. If you want to go to the Florida State Notre Dame, I'm giving away two tickets. All you have to do is follow me on Twitter. That's at Michael underscore K87 and then subscribe to the show on any platform you like. It could be the YouTube channel, subscription, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you're getting the podcast from. And then you got to screenshot both of those things and tweet them at me or email them to me. I know this is short notice if you're just hearing it now on the show for the first time. This announcement went out on Sunday and I just haven't had time to get a show in until now. But I'm going to announce the winner early Friday morning. That way, whoever goes is going to have a chance to um, get their plans in order to go to the game. And obviously, if you're listening to this and you're not a fan of either of those teams or you don't live in that area, then of course you're probably not interested. But let people know if they want to win tickets to that game, I've got two that I'm giving away. So um, another thing I wanted to announce is I have started an Instagram page, not for the show. That'll probably come later. But this is a page where I'm posting old college football highlights. Now, the Instagram is college football classics, all one word. The The profile picture is uh, Vince Young running into the end zone right now from that Texas-USC game in 2006. And if you've been listening for a while, I, I've mentioned it several times. Like I'm a you know, giant college football nerd and love the history of the game, love reliving moments Obviously, all the ones I was alive for and watched, and then going back to all the moments I wasn't even alive for. And I've got an archive of college football games that I've edited. My archive is like 15, 20-minute versions of games, and I've got hundreds, probably thousands of them going back from the mid-'80s all the way to recent seasons. And it's it's pretty much all the big matchups from each season. I'll usually come out with maybe 35 to 40 games a season. And obviously any game of neuritity throughout history, I've, I've tried to add to the archive and I'm always adding to it. Well, eventually I'm trying to get a YouTube or a Rumble channel going. It's hard with the copyright uploading these games sometimes, but I know there's a lot of other people out there that want to share in this and 
want to rewatch those games and those highlights too. So for now, what I'm doing is I've started this Instagram page where I'm uploading clips to, and I just started the Instagram. So right now I've put like five to 10 videos on there and it's kind of just like random plays, you know, there'll be like five plays in a little clip I upload because you can only upload minute clips and we'll see where that page goes, you know, like leading into game weeks, for example, this week for week one, we've got like Clemson, Georgia. So maybe I'll be uploading some of the old Clemson, Georgia highlights in preparation for that or other kickoff games. And maybe we get close to rivalry. We, we relive some of those, but I just want to constantly be uploading highlights to there and you can DM the page for requests. So if you're interested in that, go follow that Instagram page. Um, I'm hoping to build up a big audience on there because people love watching highlights and then maybe direct some of those people over to the podcast in the future. So yeah, that's exciting. I'm excited to get that out. But um, getting back into the college game though, like I said, week zero happened and the main game everyone was watching, I think was this Nebraska-Illinois game. It's a big 10 game. It was a college football game full of fans, a regular season Big Ten game, which was just great to watch. I mean, like, in most years, I wouldn't be super interested in this game particularly, but after last year, it basically feels like it's been two years since we had college football. And just turning on my TV and seeing two Big Ten schools warming up, getting ready to play a game in front of a full stadium was awesome. And it was a pretty good game back and forth. Um, obviously, everyone's aware there's so much heat on Scott Frost now because once again, this Nebraska team just looked terrible. I mean, this is Scott Frost's fourth year at Nebraska and he's playing a year one, game one, Brett Bielema, Illinois team. An Illinois team that was pretty bad last year and they just looked terrible. And then in the first quarter, I actually thought Nebraska looked a lot better. They were getting a pass rush. They knocked Illinois' starting quarterback out of the game. And it looked like they were just a step ahead of, of Illinois. And then the game basically fell apart for them. They had some ridiculous turnovers. You know, the one, a guy fields a punt that he had no business fielding, tries to throw the ball in the end zone. That was insane. And that basically ended up sort of swinging the game. There was also a play where Nebraska got an interception, but there was a penalty on the play and a taunting. So it was a 30-yard penalty. And honestly, just for a minute, I've always talked about how football, especially college football, is this game of inches, right? And it's all about momentum and things can swing so quickly. In that moment, had that play stood, I think Nebraska ends up winning. And all the momentum that Illinois didn't even have at the time, like is, is gone even further and Nebraska probably wins that game. But in that moment, it's a 30 yard penalty. Illinois advances, they go on to score and they kind of didn't look back from that point on and all the momentum shifted to, to Illinois and they were able to win the game and Nebraska just couldn't answer. So in the sense of how football works, I think that's really interesting to analyze. But obviously the main story here is just Nebraska looked terrible and if I'm a Nebraska fan, I don't I don't know what to do at this point. I mean, you have a team, you have a program that historically is incredible. I mean, for anyone who's younger or isn't aware, like guys, Nebraska was the Alabama of the 80s and 90s, right? This was one of the best programs in college football. And it's been a very slow decline. And I don't know if it's recoverable, right? You go to 
out of the 90s, right? Nebraska is winning. I think they won. They won three national titles in the 90s. Two outright. That was in uh, 94 against Miami. 95 against Florida. They win the national title again in 97, splitting that with Michigan, right? Because we didn't have the BCS putting number one versus number two. So Michigan won the Rose Bowl and was undefeated, ranked number one. Nebraska beat Tennessee in the Orange Bowl, so they split the national title there. But in 96, they they get close to playing for a title. 93, they lose the title game to Florida State. 92, or, or sorry, 91, they play for it against Miami. Like, Nebraska was the program, right? And they have slowly fallen off. You get to the early 2000s, right? The last time Nebraska played for a championship was the year 2001, they played Miami, one of the best Miami teams ever, and they got annihilated in the Rose Bowl, which was the national title game that year. And the mid-2000s, right, Nebraska has some decent teams, some 9-3, and three, some 8-4 and four teams, but of course the fan base, that's not enough for them, right? And if you guys remember, they had, you know, Bull Pelini as their coach, and basically he was fired for only going like 8-4, and four, right, in 2009, they're in the Big 12 championship game. That was the game where they lost to Texas, where Colt McCoy was rolling out through the ball out of bounds. We thought the clock ran out and Texas lost, but there was one second put back on, and Texas is able to kick a field goal, send themselves to the national title game. And they've had moments of looking good, a, a season or two that they were decent since then. You know, not to get into all their history, but really they've just been declining and declining and declining. And... Scott Frost was supposed to be the savior, right? This is a proven head coach that took UCF to an undefeated season, made it to a New Year's Six Bowl game, won that game. He wasn't coaching that game specifically, I know. but And he's from Nebraska. He was the quarterback during some of those 90s teams. And he's the head coach. He's supposed to take them to the promised land again, right? Or at least get them back on somewhat of track, at least be competitive in their division in the Big Ten, and they have just failed to do so, right? Four and eight seasons are now becoming the norm at Nebraska. And big programs fall, right? Notre Dame had some really bad seasons right after Charlie Weiss and before Brian Kelly, right? Florida State is really down right now. They're going, you know, five and seven, three and six last year. We've seen this happen to Florida. All, a lot of these big Michigan, right? The Rich Rodriguez days. We've seen that happen. But there's always a faith you have in these big-blooded programs that they're going to bounce back eventually. They just need the right coach and the right set of circumstances, and they'll bounce back. Well, I don't think that's true for Nebraska, and I'm starting to just feel like this is who Nebraska is. And the main reason for that is, one, on the coaching front, if Scott Frost isn't the guy, who is the guy? I think you can get better at coaching, right? Maybe Scott Frost wasn't who we thought he was. He's just not capable of this. There's guys out there, but at the same time, it doesn't matter who you bring in. You could bring Nick Saban in, right? In college football, you have to recruit, and kids just aren't going to Nebraska. It's a terrible place regionally for recruiting. You don't have any talent really around you, which is a huge problem in the modern college football era where, right, in the 80s and 90s, Notre Dame, Nebraska, they could be the best programs because they were these big brands. They were on TV most weeks, which was rare back then. Now, everyone's on TV. 
So kids want to stay close to home and all these different programs that have different things, whether it's facilities, this, that, whatever, can lure them in. And Nebraska, short of landing like an Urban Meyer type name, a Nick Saban type name, a head coach, something that would come with a bunch of hype, I don't know who's going to go to Nebraska and get kids that can turn this program to even like an eight and four program. I, I definitely think it's possible with the right coach. They can be a six and six program, a seven and five team. I, I think that's possible, but I'm wondering if that's the modern ceiling at Nebraska. I mean, I'm really at a loss trying to figure out a way around it because I'm usually the one that tells people, you know, don't panic. This program can come back, this, that, and the other. But in the case of Nebraska, I really just don't see a way that they can become competitive in the Big Ten. I'm just not seeing it. So hopefully Nebraska can do something. Like It would be nice to see them at least be somewhat relevant in college football because of their history, but I just, I just don't know if that's going to happen. Now let's segue into what's coming up, right? The season is officially really about to start, and I'll get into some of these matchups and give a little bit of predictions and, and, and we'll talk about some of this week one stuff. But I think the bigger thing I want to talk about is just more what is at stake for college football as a whole this season and what can we expect from the season and what storylines are we looking for, what I'm looking for at least, and, and, and what's out there. Now there was a good article on ESPN, this was last week and I, and I waited to talk about it until this episode that basically said, hey, what are the possibilities of the landscape in college football changing? And what it meant by that was like, hey, are we ever going to see a playoff or even a playoff race that doesn't completely center around Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, basically? And the answer is no, because those three teams are definitely in the running for college football playoff spots this year, and it wouldn't be surprising at all if all three of those teams made it to the college football playoff this year. But are we finally going to see some ch challengers, right? At the very least, can we see challengers if Ohio State makes it back to the playoff? Can we make it look like they barely got through the Big Ten? Can there be some other teams that looked like they could have belonged. Maybe they don't actually upset Ohio State and, and make it to the playoff themselves, but you leave the Big Ten season feeling like, oh, there were two, maybe three teams that could have gone to the playoff and Ohio State just squeezed by them and they were the team, right? Same in the SEC. Are, are we going to have a year where someone challenges Alabama, like in 2019 where LSU finally stepped up, right? Or like, you go back to 2013 when Auburn actually won the crown from them and they went to the national title game. And in the ACC, that's that's the real question, right? Can anybody step up to be at least near Clemson's level and challenge them in any way? Clemson basically runs through the ACC schedule as of late, gets into the big or the ACC championship game, and they dominate and kind of coast their way into the playoff. Now, Clemson will usually play a big game in the non-conference obviously this year they're playing georgia that's a huge game it's actually the biggest game on each of those teams schedules but you know clemson could lose that game and then run the table and get in the playoff they could win that game and then go undefeated or even allow themselves a small hiccup so are there any teams that can get through that so let's look at some of those teams and what i've done is i've broken teams into tiers you have the modern blue bloods, Alabama, Clemson, and Ohio State. These are the teams that 
have either won all the national championships in the last few years or played in them or are always in the playoff or you enter the season thinking that they're going to be unscathed, right? Now, my second tier is like Oklahoma and Georgia. Oklahoma has made the playoff a handful of times now, but they've yet to win a playoff game. They're usually not even very competitive in these playoff games other than the one against Georgia, that classic Rose Bowl, Baker Mayfield, when Sonny Michelle ran the game winner and at the end to send Georgia to the title game. But they haven't been able to get over the hump, right? And yeah, Georgia won that one playoff game, but they lose to Alabama. And even though they've fielded a roster that is more than capable to make a college football playoff, even win a national championship, they've yet to do so. And they haven't even been able to get back to the playoff since that 2017 season. And maybe some of you don't care, right? I don't care either. It doesn't bother me if, if these three teams end up in the playoff and one of them wins the championship again. I mean, College football is college football. We're going to enjoy the season. But if you're a fan of the sport like I am, of course, we all have our teams, right? If I'm an Alabama fan, I want Alabama to win every national championship. I don't even want it to be close, right? Same if I'm a fan of Oklahoma, Clemson, Ohio State, whatever, right? I'm a Florida State fan, as a lot of you know, and I would have no problem with them being as dominant as Clemson's being, right? Or having us return to the 90s and, and always be glory. But outside of your the interest in your team, this show is for people that are interested in the sport as a whole, right? I can't enjoy my team if I can't enjoy this product of college football, all the pageantry behind it, all of the excitement, right? And what typically is the greatest regular season in sports. And some of us are wondering if we're losing that, right? I've talked about this with playoff expansion, all this other stuff. So if we look at those teams in the top tier, there is something interesting. First of all, all three of those teams, right, Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, have new quarterbacks. That is interesting. When you don't return a starting quarterback, there's always a chance for some mystery and for some things to happen. Now, in the case of Clemson and Ohio State and Alabama, we're pretty sure these quarterbacks are going to pick up where the teams left off, right, because they're either really good recruits or they've even got some playing time, right, like DJU at Clemson, right? He played in that Notre Dame game last year. And even though Clemson came short in that game, he was not the reason why he played great. And Clemson's offense, for the most part, it was like Trevor Lawrence was playing. So he looks like he's going to be great, right? Alabama has Bryce Young, who, yeah, he hasn't played either, right? But of course, he's a highly touted recruit. People that have met him have said that like he sounds like he could be a CEO right now, right? That's a quote I've heard in relation to him. So that means he's mature. Maturity is everything in college football, especially at the quarterback position. If your leader is mature, you're in a good place. And if you have really good skill to go with it, that's also a recipe for success, right? And then Ohio State has just announced that C.J. Stroud will be the starter. And he also was a highly touted recruit, and he beat out really good guys, you know, like Jack Miller, Kyle McCord, for the starting job. The Ohio State quarterback room is absolutely loaded. Probably at least two, maybe three other guys on this roster are going to end up being like all-conference players on other teams when it's all said and done. Because realistically, there's only room for one starting quarterback at a time, and all of these guys are really, really good. There's a lot of teams that would beg to have Ohio State's third and fourth string guys on their roster right now. So an embarrassment of riches at the quarterback position at Ohio State, but they're going with C.J. Stroud for now. But I'm telling you guys, again, breaking in new quarterbacks takes time. And some of these teams start off with pretty hard and decent games, right? Alabama's playing Miami. Clemson's playing Georgia, right? Ohio State is playing 
a Big Ten game to start the season on Thursday night, and then they've got Oregon, probably the best team out of the Pac-12, coming in. So there are opportunities to knock off these teams early. The question is, can anybody do it? So let's start with Alabama because of who they're playing, and we'll break down this week one matchup and then segue into the ACC off of that. So Alabama's taking Miami. Now, normally, Alabama is a for sure thing to win their kickoff games. Ever since Nick Saban came to Alabama, their thing has been playing a big kickoff classic neutral site game against a quality opponent. I'll never forget, the first one I remember was 2008, so this was Nick Saban's second season, and they were playing Clemson in the Chick-fil-A kickoff game in Atlanta, right? And Clemson was, I think, ranked number nine at the time. I think Alabama was like 24. And Clemson was kind of favored to win, and, and Alabama it was okay the second year of Nick Saban. He, he's supposed to bring them back, and Alabama just dominated the game. And then Alabama went on to have a great season, and the Saban dynasty was started. I think Alabama fans would agree with me that you can go back to that game and say that's where the Saban dynasty really started. They didn't win the national title that year, right? They came up short in the SEC championship game to Florida, who would go on to win the title, but then Alabama would go undefeated and win the title the next year. And think of all the kickoff games over the years that Alabama has played in and usually dominated. It doesn't matter who it is. They played Virginia Tech twice in a kickoff game, beat them. They played West Virginia. I think that was 2014. They played Wisconsin 2015, right? A few years ago, they beat USC. I'm forgetting some, but pretty much every year since 2008, with the exception of maybe one or two, they open up with, at the very least, you know, a Power 5 opponent. Usually that team is ranked, and usually... Alabama wins, even when they start slow sometimes, right? Like in the Duke game a few years ago, they started kind of slow and still ended up winning, I think, like 52 to 10 or something crazy. And it really looks like this should be the case this year, right? Miami's good. Don't get me wrong. Miami's a top 15 team, at least preseason rankings and projections. But do you really feel like anyone can beat Alabama? And Alabama is at a point where they just have the benefit of the doubt. Because if you look at everything Alabama lost, I think it's 73 of their offensive touchdowns from last year are all gone. That is pretty insane, right? They're losing a legendary quarterback, Mac Jones. They're losing all those great receivers. They're replacing a lot of guys. Of course, though, the thing is, you know Nick Saban's replacing them with mostly five stars and four-star guys, right? So Alabama's loaded, and they have coach Nick Saban. When you give him time to prepare... He's incredible. That's why he's so good in postseason games and kickoff games. I would not want to play Alabama at the start of the season or maybe in that first playoff game where, where he has time to prepare because that's where especially defensive-minded coaches, Nick Saban especially, have shown to almost be unbeatable, right? But let's keep a couple things in mind. If we want to play devil's advocate, how do you make the case for Miami here? Now, I definitely think Miami can cover. It's like an 18-point spread, right, which is just everyone having that faith in Alabama. I think Miami's talented enough to at least cover that spread. So if you're making bets, that that's one I would take because that spread looks like it's going to stay big like that. So Miami to cover the spread might not be a bad bet. But here's the thing. Alabama, like I said, they're breaking a new quarterback. They're also breaking in a new offensive coordinator. Sometimes that's, that's an interesting recipe, right? And then you've got guys that I'm sure are going to become all SEC, all American guys on this roster. Even if we don't know their names yet, you know they're there. But this is game one. Miami has a really good defense coming back. Their whole staff is together. 
Miami also has De'Eric King, who was a pretty good athletically mobile quarterback last year. It's like his 15th year in college. Remember, he's the guy that was from Houston, transferred into Miami. Now, there is some word that he might not be healthy, and if he's not healthy, I definitely wouldn't put anything in Miami's case for winning this game or keeping it close, but mobile quarterbacks have given Alabama trouble over the course of the Nick Saban tenure. If you look at Nick Saban's losses, right, Johnny Manziel, Deshaun Watson, these are the guys that were beating him on the big stage. Obviously, there's some other losses, right? You got you had LSU and Joe Burrow and Trevor Lawrence, but basically, you need a really good quarterback, and the weakness has been mobile quarterbacks a lot of times, right? Even the Auburn guys like Trey Marshall, 2013, running that option stuff. So if Miami can stay in this game or, or keep it close, that's going to be big for Miami, right? Now, you don't expect Miami to win, and they don't need to win. But for the sake of Miami's season, it would be very good if they could at least play this game close because if you win, it's an incredible win. The best win Miami will have had in over a decade, at least probably, looking back on it. And if you lose the game, you really can't get a better loss, right? Miami doesn't play Clemson in the regular season. The next toughest game on Miami's schedule, as it looks right now, is going to be at North Carolina. I think that's October 16th. They go to North Carolina. That's going to be their toughest thing, and that's a division game, right? So they need to win that game. If Miami gets through the ACC undefeated and their only loss is opening week to Alabama, especially if they don't get like obliterated and they go into the ACC championship game, they win, they're in, right? So there's some chances for things to happen here. Again, like I wouldn't bet on Miami to beat Alabama, but it's not really the metrics and the things you would normally look at going into a season making projections that tell you that. I mean, you really are just banking on the fact that Alabama's gonna be Alabama because they always are. And Nick Saban has just got them to a point where you don't care who Alabama's replacing, you just expect them to be great. They're preseason number one, even though they lost all of their offensive production, pretty much. That used to not really happen in the AP poll era, right? And people have done this with Bama before, too. Oh, well, Bama lost a lot of guys, so I'm only going to have them ranked, you know, number five, number four in the preseason instead of number one. And they've proven us wrong so many times that they've just completely have earned benefit of the doubt. And it's only going to be when somebody actually beats them that we decide that it's over. Now, I've always thought in my head that the end of the Saban dynasty will be when he actually loses one of these kickoff games. That's when you'll know something's up at Alabama, right? If Alabama drops an SEC game every now and then, Auburn knocks them off, Texas A&M had beat them that one year with Manziel, well, Alabama still either ends up in the playoff, ends up in the national championship, or in the, the years where they barely missed the playoff, like in 2019, they come right back with one of the best offenses we've ever seen in college football. So, again... As a college football fan, like, you know, I'm not, I don't like Miami, right? I'm a Florida State fan. I kind of hate Miami, but I'm not going to lie when I say I, I'm kind of pulling for Miami to win this game just because of the shakeup that I would have in college football. And I'm really hoping for some of that. It, I would love to see the landscape change a little bit. It'd be nice to not see some of the teams that we've seen being in that same position, right? I'd, I'd like to see Alabama start off the season with a loss and then have to fight their way back, you know? They probably still make the playoff, probably still win the championship, but it's it's a little more interesting that way, right? And, geez, can you imagine if Miami wins that game? They're going to instantly jump to being maybe not the favorite in the ACC because of Clemson, but that would be huge for the ACC, right? And unfortunately, 
I used to not care about the whole conference rivalries things. Okay, the SEC is the best conference a lot of times. That's awesome. But given what's happening in college football and how it really looks like, okay, if your conference isn't as good as this other conference, we can end up with these shakeups and it can destroy the, the thing we have in college football with the power five. And, you know, now it's like, okay, I'm, I'm not taking sides, but I'm rooting to keep college football kind of how it's been as far as the way the conferences are lined out. And if the SEC just keeps dominating, if they sweep the ACC teams and they can't compete, and now Texas, Oklahoma jump into the SEC, then it's going to change. I mean, it's changing either way, but whatever we can do to hold on to that, that's kind of what I'm rooting for. Again, nothing against Alabama. If you're an Alabama fan, do not come in here like, oh, Michael hates Alabama. He's hating on my team. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But as a fan of the game, I would be interested to see that, right? So we just talked about Miami in that matchup. And like I said, the rest of Miami's season. Well, let me take that back. Miami's season's a little interesting because if we just want to focus on Miami for a second, they're a team that I could see either having a great season based off what happened in this Alabama game, or they could have a nightmare season. Like, I can see Miami's season going so many different ways. Forget the Alabama game for a second. They play Alabama. Probably they're going to lose that game. Let's say they can at least keep that game close, though. Well, their next two games are Appalachian State and Michigan State, okay? Not too worried about Michigan State in general, but this is a weird spot, right? Appalachian State is a good program. They have been for some time, right? And actually, today is the anniversary of their big upset against Michigan in 2007, right? One of the biggest upsets in the history of college football. And this is a, a game that Miami could lose, especially if they go in there not playing their A game, right? A heartbreak loss to Alabama, a blowout loss to Alabama, or even a win over Alabama. All of those things set up for a Miami team to go into Appalachian State not as focused, right? If you beat Alabama, you're on top of the world. Oh, Appalachian State's nothing now, right? Well, that's how upsets happen. We lose a close game to Alabama, and we're heartbroken, and we gave everything we had in that game. It's hard to get that back for the next week, but you're playing a good opponent. You have no choice, right? Or a devastating loss to Alabama where you get blown out can really shake up confidence, and then you go into this next game feeling that way too. And then Michigan State, Right after that, again, I would take Miami to beat Michigan State nine times out of ten, but if there was one spot I wouldn't really want to play this weird Michigan State team, it would be right here, right? Michigan State's a weird team where, like, they'll be bad, but they'll find a way to win a weird game like this. So, yeah, I, I don't know. This is an interesting game, and there is a scenario where this Miami team, even though I think they're good, could be like 0-3, and, and then the season's over, right? And Miami starts 0-3, or even 1-2 in that three-game stretch. They're probably throwing it in the tank, and the season's over, and I don't see them really recovering from that. So that's kind of my two cents of Miami right now. Very interesting. Keeping it in their division, though, you have North Carolina, preseason number 10. And here's the difference between North Carolina and Clemson and some of those other big schools to talk about, North Carolina is returning their quarterback, and he's probably the best quarterback in the ACC, maybe even one of the best quarterbacks in the country by the end of this year, okay? North Carolina's losing like their two best receivers, maybe three. So they lost some guys on offense that Sam Howell was throwing the ball to, but 
Sam Howell is now a veteran. This is his third year. He's very, very talented, and having a quarterback that good can really carry your team. If the North Carolina defense can somehow take a, a step forward from last year, because that was their one weakness, they would give up some points, right? And if their offense can just maintain what it was, right? If Sam Howell can take the steps to replace some of those stud wide receivers they have, or if some new guys can step up and be the pass catchers, then North Carolina can be a very, very dangerous team. I'm telling you right now, if North Carolina returned the receivers they had from last year, I would easily have them winning their division, and I would say they could easily give Clemson a run for their money as well. But there are some question marks with the things that North Carolina lost, so that's why you're sitting there with them. Now, week one, North Carolina opens up with Virginia Tech, and it's on a Friday night. And again, this is one of those things where I, I don't think North Carolina can really lose to Virginia Tech on paper, but this week one Friday night at Virginia Tech, stranger things have happened, right? So that's kind of a weird game for them, and it's the biggest game on Friday. I think the only real game on Friday, so I'll be watching that closely. Super excited. I love um, the ACC matchups between, you know, the core ACC teams that have the big state. I mean, I've been making the argument for a while, guys. Maybe not always record-wise or talent-wise, but watching good ACC football is a lot like watching SEC football, right? The Florida States, the Miamis, the Virginia Techs, Clemsons, even NC State, North Carolina, when those teams are, are decent, their fans pack their stadiums, the atmosphere is electric, and it's the same type of environment. So I'm really excited for that game. And I think North Carolina has a chance to be really good this year. North Carolina also doesn't play Clemson this year, right? They're not in that division, and they don't play them this year. They do play Notre Dame, though. And Notre Dame's this really big question mark team to me because Brian Kelly is, in my opinion, he's very Saban-esque in how he's built Notre Dame. Notre Dame just will never probably have the roster Alabama has. But if you look at what Brian Kelly's done at Notre Dame— it's very impressive. It's just as impressive to me as like what Urban Meyer did at Ohio State. I don't think you can compare anyone to Saban and Bama because of all the championships. But like, for example, Urban Meyer and Ohio State, right, they get credit for building this dynasty out there in the Big Ten. They only won one national championship, right? And that was in 2014. And every year since 2014, they've had a roster that was just as good as like an Alabama roster, these these great rosters we've seen, but they were they either barely missed the playoff or they would make the playoff and lose to Clemson. So I think what Brian Kelly's done at Notre Dame, yeah, he hasn't won a national championship yet, but I don't think it's fair to necessarily compare him on that level because I think winning a national championship at Notre Dame is probably one of the hardest things you can do. There's not a program that's considered top tier that's probably more challenging to win a national title at. So North Carolina going to Notre Dame, I think that's October 30th, if I'm not mistaken. That's going to be a really good game. The problem for North Carolina is their two toughest games are back-to-back. -back. They play Miami October 16th, like we talked about, and then immediately they go on the road to Notre Dame. And before they play Miami, they have Florida State at home, who Mac Brown has never beaten right? A terrible Florida State team kind of blew North Carolina out last year. It was very strange. So that's the one thing that's that's hard for North Carolina is they play their three toughest games all in a row. I'm not saying Florida State's in their top three toughest games. We don't know what Florida State's going to be. There's, there's a scenario where Florida State goes into that game 
four and one. And it, it's interesting. There's a scenario where Florida State goes into that game like two and two or something like that, two and three, and maybe they kill Florida State and Florida State's terrible again. But it's just a bad stretch of games, right? But other than that, you know, North Carolina is playing Virginia. I think they're better than Georgia Tech. Could be interesting this year in the ACC. Now that Sims, their quarterback, is in year two, and, and he's really athletic, and Georgia Tech looks like they're kind of on the right track. They're recruiting better than they used to. Um, they got Duke. Duke's pretty bad. They do play Wake Forest. Wake Forest could be decent. So I take it back, you know, they got four tough games in a row because right after Notre Dame, they're playing Wake. So if North Carolina gets through that stretch with, you know, either undefeated or just one loss, I mean, that that's going to take some talent. That, that'll show that they're for real. And if you're North Carolina, what you're hoping to do is to make it through your schedule with at the very least, maybe one loss and get into that ACC championship game with one loss, you're probably then playing Clemson, set yourself up for a chance to win. And if you are North Carolina and you could pick a loss, it would be Notre Dame because it's going to be a good loss, assuming Notre Dame is pretty good. It's also not a conference game. Remember, Notre Dame was just in the ACC last year because of the weird COVID stuff. That will not be a conference game. So as long as North Carolina beats Miami or the other teams in their division and has that head-to-head against them and doesn't drop you know, some other games, they can lose that game in Notre Dame, still make the ACC championship game at 11-1, and as long as you make that game, you're giving yourself a chance to go to the playoff. If you're a 12-1 conference champion, your chances of making the playoff are astronomically high. The only way you're getting jumped is by other 12-1 conference champions or undefeated conference champions. That's the only way you're getting jumped. Or in North Carolina's case here, maybe an undefeated Notre Dame because they would have that head-to-head at least. But being a 12-1 conference champion, yes, you can get left out, but most likely you're going to make the playoff. And if you're North Carolina and you have a win over Miami, and we assume Miami is maybe a three-loss team at worst, you have a close loss on the road to Notre Dame, and then you beat what's most likely going to be an undefeated or 11-1 Clemson team in that ACC championship game, I can't imagine you get left out of the college football playoff with that. Obviously, anything can happen. Only four teams get invited, but that'd be interesting. And as a college football fan, I think it would be very, very interesting and really cool to see someone in the college football playoff from the ACC that isn't Clemson or Florida State. Obviously, Florida State's not going this year. But if we can get Miami or North Carolina, who, you know, Miami at least has that old school history they could bring back. Yes, a lot of people want to see that program back. But North Carolina, they flirted with being a top 10 team a couple different times in the few in the last few decades, but they've never really taken that step. If they could just make the playoff, they don't even have to win, but that would be an amazing step for their program. That would be huge for the ACC, right? The ACC would at least be able to say, we've sent three teams to the college football playoff. That would be huge. That's going to elevate the conference as a whole. So that would be interesting, right? But of course, the king of the ACC is still Clemson. They've kind of taken that step, what I was saying about Alabama, where you're at a point now where it doesn't really matter what Clemson loses. They just seem to reload, right? They lost to Sean Watson and some great receivers, and they just replaced him with Trevor Lawrence, who was even better, right? And now you got DJU there. I don't know if he's going to be as good as Trevor Lawrence, but Clemson's probably got the best defensive line in the country, definitely the ACC. So the Clemson offense doesn't have to be the best that Dabo's had. They just need to be pretty good, and it's hard to imagine that they won't be pretty good with all that talent they have 
So this is still Clemson's conference, but anything can happen, right? Clemson opens the season with Georgia. So let's segue into Georgia and coming off of Clemson, starting with this week one matchup, which is super exciting. First of all, I love when Clemson and Georgia play. They used to play a lot more, right? Like 70s, 80s, these teams played almost every season. Then, of course, because of conferences, Clemson being the ACC, Georgia SEC, we didn't get it that often. But I'll tell you this, the 2013 and 14 home and home between these two programs was amazing. The 2013 game was one of the best games I remember seeing in an opening week. That was the game where you had uh, Aaron Murray, at quarterback of Georgia. They had Todd Gurley. I think one of the first plays, Gurley took a toss all the way to the house. Then you had a huge touchdown by Sammy Watkins, a back, back and forth game and Clemson ends up winning. And that was with Taj Boyd at quarterback. You know, Clemson was rising that year and would go all the way to be number three in the country before Florida State kind of came out of nowhere with Winston and, and knocked them off. But that was a very, very good Clemson team that went on to beat a really good Ohio State team in the Orange Bowl. And then Watson comes in the next year and, you know, the rest is history. Clemson's basically been at their dynasty level ever since then. But that was the beginning. The game in 2014 was also good. This one was at Georgia. Todd Gurley went off again, had a couple long touchdown runs, as well as I think he had a kick return, and Georgia got the better of them that year because Deshaun Watson was a true freshman. He wasn't even playing yet. Clemson wouldn't install him until later in the season. But both those games were great, and I'm just hoping we see something of that. You know, I don't care who wins this game too much as a fan, right? Because if Clemson lost, well, they probably can then just go undefeated through the ACC and still make the playoff, right? If you're Georgia and you lose, you know, you kind of have the same story there. I do think it's a little more important for Georgia because if Georgia wins, they do give themselves that breathing room because the SEC slate is hard and now they can afford to lose a game. As long as it's not like a Florida or a division opponent that ends up having a better, you know, SEC record than Georgia, Georgia would be looking pretty good in a win or a loss in this game. We, j we just want to see a competitive game, right? And, it, and it's so interesting because Georgia has probably one of the best offensive lines in the SEC. They've got a good defensive line. Clemson has a couple question marks offensive line, but like I said, the defensive line for Clemson is, is one of the best, probably in the country. So it's going to be a super interesting matchup. Clemson has a new young quarterback who we've seen but isn't completely proven on this stage. Same with Georgia, right? Like JT Daniels is the guy. Georgia fans are excited. They think the offense will finally be, be something that isn't just ground and pound, but like can beat you through the air. Unfortunately, Pickens, the best Georgia wide receiver, I'm pretty sure he's injured. So that's not good for Georgia. But Georgia is loaded with talent. I think they've got like 70% of their roster. Maybe maybe it's not 70%, but I think they have like 20-something players that are five-star recruits. So on paper, they have the most talented roster in the country this year, ahead of Alabama, ahead of Ohio State, and ahead of Clemson. That's crazy. The problem is, is a lot of pressure comes with that. Kirby Smart was put at Georgia. He replaced Mark Rick to win a national championship, right? Mark Rick wasn't terrible at Georgia. Georgia wasn't in a bad state. They were one of those instances where you're really good, but you want to be great. So you make a coaching change. And for the most part, Kirby's delivered on that. They've got these great teams. They've got these great recruiting classes. They made it to the national championship that one year, but they haven't been able to win one. And 
I think for a lot of Georgia fans, they're thinking it's national title or bust this year, right? They've already won a playoff game. They've already been to a national championship game that they came so close to winning. And I think Georgia is in a point where they got to win it, right? And they're going to be tested, right? They've got this Clemson game week one. Kirby hasn't shown he can really win this game yet. The only game of this caliber that Kirby has won is probably the Oklahoma Rose Bowl that was a playoff game in 2017. They've got some big wins in the division, right? They won those Notre Dame games. Those were pretty big, almost on this level, but not quite. So this is the big test. But if you look at Georgia, when they played Alabama in the championship game, they came up short. When they played Alabama in the 2018 SEC championship game, they came up just short. So they're probably going to have two chances this year, right? You got the opener against Clemson. That's your chance. And then most likely, unless Florida is really surprising this year or some other team in the East really surprises us this year, you should see Georgia winning the East, right? I mean, maybe they do drop another game and then they get into the SEC Championship game with two losses, which isn't great for their playoff hopes, most likely, but they should win their division. So this Clemson game is a chance to really start off hot. If you lose, okay, you got the SEC slate to run through. And then they're probably going to play Alabama, right? We'll talk about Texas A&M in a second, but it's probably Alabama. Or if it's not Alabama, it's still going to be someone of that caliber because it's going to be the SEC championship game. It's probably going to be an 11-1 or an undefeated team. And they've got to win that game. And then they got to go to the playoff. And then they got to win two more to really meet expectations here. So is it one of those things where pressure gets them? I think pressure at Georgia has not always been their greatest strength. If you look at 2008, for example, Georgia was a top five team projected to win the SEC, and they kind of fell off that year. They got surprised by Alabama. Like I said, that's when the Saban dynasty started, and Alabama kicked their butt at home, and they ended up with a couple losses that year. You know, in 2017, when they make the championship game, no one really expected Georgia to be that good that year. They kind of surprised everyone. Then the next year, they follow it up, and they don't live up to the hype. They come out with two losses, and they don't make it. So Georgia needs to prove that they can handle the pressure and they can win these big games, right? Georgia hasn't won a national title since 1980, and I know they're sick and tired of hearing that. Well, this is the year. If any year, this is the year for Georgia to deliver on that. So if we're in the SEC and we're talking about who might dethrone Alabama, of course, Georgia has the best chance of anyone else in the SEC especially because they're in the other division. So they're not going to have to play Alabama until that SEC championship game. And hopefully, if that happens, we get another classic. Now, the only other team in the SEC that I think has the chance to dethrone Alabama, make a college football playoff run, is Texas A&M. Texas A&M is really interesting. They had probably their best season in a long time, maybe ever, last year. And again, like a lot of these other teams, they're replacing Kellen Mond. However, this is the one team who's replacing their quarterback that I'm actually not that worried about for a couple reasons. One, I don't think Kellen Mond was actually that good. I think he's a guy, another example of a guy, who looked a lot better than he was because of Jimbo Fisher. That's what Jimbo Fisher does with quarterbacks. So now that Jimbo Fisher is finally replacing Kellen Mond with somebody he recruited... 
I actually expect Texas A&M to take a leap forward, at the very least stay exactly where they are. I don't see them going backwards. And a little bit of Jimbo Fisher history, if we look back at you know his run at Florida State in 2012, Florida State had the best team they had had in a long time. Jimbo Fisher's best team as a head coach. They're a 10-2 regular season team. They win the ACC championship, and they win the Orange Bowl, right? They were loaded on defense, and they had EJ Manuel, who was like basically a four-year starter at Florida State, an elite all-ACC quarterback, but he was a senior. He left, right? And Florida State was replacing a lot of guys in defense and the quarterback. So... I think Florida State came into 2013 preseason top 15, but everybody thought, well, they're going to take a slight step back from that really good 2012 team. Well, then in came Jameis Winston, a top quarterback recruit that Jimbo had, and then we know what happened there. It was one of the best teams in college football history, definitely one of the best offenses we've seen. So similarly, Texas A&M won the Orange Bowl last year. And now they're replacing their senior quarterback, but I really think that the offense for Texas A&M is going to take a leap forward. I don't know if they're going to beat Alabama. That's the main thing for Texas A&M. That's their test. They've got to go beat Alabama. They do get that game at home, which is important, but outside of the 2012 Texas A&M-Alabama game with Johnny Manziel doing his magic, Texas A&M has not delivered in these Alabama matchups. In fact, they usually kind of get their butt kicked. Even when they come in highly touted, even when they come in ranked, Nick Saban just always gets the better of them. So will this be the year? I'll be honest. I would really love to see an SEC championship game, Texas A&M versus Georgia, right? And it's not even because of the whole, oh, now Alabama's not there factor. It's really more because of the fact that, like I talked about with Kirby Smart and Georgia and the pressure, Texas A&M has very similar pressure. Jimbo Fisher was also brought in specifically to win a national championship. Remember, he's got the the plaque with the empty year on it, right? The, the trophy case, like national champions with the blank year. He was brought there and paid $75 million to win a national championship, right? Being runner-up to Alabama is not good enough for these fans. And that's at Georgia and at A&M. So those two teams, the storyline in that game with that pressure, only one of them's going to win. One of them's going to be that disappointed that they still didn't make it over the hump, and the other one's going to go to the playoff. And if it's Texas A&M, it would be their first time ever going to the playoff, you know, or any game of that that caliber. So it's really exciting. Like, I think that storyline in the SEC is what I'm going to be paying most attention to. I really want to see the Jimbo Fisher, Kirby Smart SEC championship matchup just for that specific storyline. And, of course, if that happened, the teams would be great. I think we would get really good football. That matchup would also be so interesting. The way those two teams would meet with their different styles of play, I just think that'd be a great game, and I would love to see that. Now, outside of the SEC and ACC, let's let's go to the Big Ten for a second. We talked about Ohio State. They're clearly the favorite. Who in that conference can step up to the plate? So Ohio State's number four in the preseason AP poll. The next Big Ten team on the list is Wisconsin at 12. You got Indiana at 17, Iowa at 18, Penn State at 19. So the Big Ten is deep. There's some really good teams there. It's going to be an exciting Big Ten. You do have some great teams in the Big Ten. However, it seems like there's a pretty big gap between Ohio State and that next tier of teams, right? It's similar to the ACC where you have Clemson, and then you got North Carolina and Miami are good, but in their own tier but you don't see them getting up to Clemson. It's kind of the same story in the Big Ten. Can one of these teams do that? 
Now, focusing on week one, we're going to get sort of a sneak preview because we've got Wisconsin and Penn State in week one. That's going to be really exciting. I really think that Penn State is going to end up being the second best team in the Big Ten. Last year was a fluke for them, I think, and I don't really count a lot from last year with COVID and all that stuff, right? So I really think it's that Penn State might be that team that knocks on the door. The problem is, is they're in the same division. So if Wisconsin is able to beat Penn State, that would set them up well because Wisconsin does have Iowa, but other than Penn State, they don't really have a lot of tough Big Ten games. We'll see how good Michigan is. They do play Michigan. I'm really up in the air on Michigan this year. I, I don't know. I, I probably should have included them in this tier. Michigan's not ranked as of now, but you do feel like talent level, Michigan, Wisconsin, Penn State, Iowa, Indiana, they're kind of all on that same level. You know one or two of those teams is going to break out and be closer to the top, and you, and you have to assume that one or two of those teams is going to fall under this tier and, and disappoint this season, so who knows. Wisconsin does play Notre Dame, though, which, again, the, the nice thing about Notre Dame is it's not a conference game, so you kind of live in the best of both worlds where if you beat them, you're adding a really nice win to your resume when it comes to maybe playoff hopes and that type of thing, but a loss doesn't damage your chances at getting to the Big Ten Championship game, which is ultimately what's going to propel you to the playoff, right? The only teams that have ever proven to really have a chance to make the playoff without playing in their conference championship game are one-loss Ohio State and Alabama teams when circumstances set up right for it. If you're Wisconsin, you're probably never going to make the college football playoff if you don't get to the Big Ten championship game, and probably you have to win the Big Ten championship game. Maybe you go into the Big Ten championship game undefeated and lose a close game to like an Ohio State. Then, depending on what shakes out in the rest of the conferences and the rest of the country, you could still get in. But most likely, you need to go to the Big Ten Championship game with one loss or less, and then you need to win that Big Ten Championship game. In Wisconsin, although, like I said, I think Penn State's going to be that next best team in the Big Ten, Penn State plays Wisconsin across division. Penn State also has to play Auburn. Penn State has to play Ohio State in their own division. So... I think Wisconsin, scheduling-wise, has the best chance, but I think Penn State, talent-wise, is who I think, personally, is the next best team in the Big Ten. The rankings don't agree with me, right? The rankings think that Indiana, Iowa, and Wisconsin are all ahead of Penn State. We'll see how it shakes out. Speaking of Iowa and Indiana, that's another matchup we get week one. Awesome. <laughs> really awesome. Number 17 versus number 18. And that's going to be a huge game for the Big Ten, for each of these individual teams to start off with a win, I think it's a really big deal for Indiana so that they can build up some momentum, right? They beat another ranked Big Ten team. They get a Big Ten win. They get a win over a ranked opponent. It's from the other division, and that sets up well for them to go into a very hard Big Ten schedule where they're going to have to now play Penn State and play Ohio State. And they've got to probably beat Ohio State in order to make the Big Ten Championship game. So just like with Penn State, the odds are kind of stacked against them, where Iowa's sitting over there, just like Wisconsin, where Iowa's probably going to have to be Wisconsin, but one of those two teams should be able to get through the gauntlet on their side in their division and then get to the Big Ten Championship game. And like I keep saying, you make your conference championship game, especially with one loss or less, that gives you the best chance to make it to the playoff and take that next step. I don't see Iowa being able to do that 
just roster wise this this is why i'm leaning more penn state penn state has players on their team the way they've recruited they're the closest thing in the big 10 to an ohio state roster which is why i think talent wise they are that second best team Wisconsin might be kind of close with them, but again, Wisconsin is kind of one of those teams that doesn't recruit at that high level, but they're really good at developing. And Iowa is kind of the same thing as Wisconsin, but usually just not quite as good. It's hard to see an Iowa team going better than eight and four, maybe nine and three is their ceiling. So I really would be shocked if anyone other than Penn State or maybe Wisconsin was that other Big Ten team knocking on the door. And if I'm being honest, I think there's a better chance that a North Carolina or a Miami wins the ACC than I do Penn State or Wisconsin winning the Big Ten. I, I actually think the gap between Ohio State and these Big Ten teams is bigger than the gap between Clemson and those other two ACC teams. Now, the gap is large in both conferences, don't get me wrong, and realistically, you're probably not going to see anyone from the ACC other than Clemson or anyone from the Big Ten other than Ohio State ultimately win the conference and make the playoff. But, you know, we're talking about who has the best chances and what could potentially shake things up. But I think you got to kind of jump out of those three conferences and those three teams to see where the most shakeups could happen. But the problem still remains the same when I go to the Big 12 and I look at the only team outside of maybe Texas being a good surprise this year is Iowa State, right? Iowa State is probably going to have the best team they've ever had. They just had the best season they ever had last year. Their quarterback's back. They got Matt Campbell. A lot of players returning. This is projected to be the best Iowa State team ever. But do you really see them beating Oklahoma twice? Because remember, the way the Big 12 works, you're going to have to beat a team twice to win the conference. They don't have divisions. So they're going to have to try to beat Oklahoma and then beat them again and realistically, what you if you have to lose to Oklahoma once, you want it to be in the regular season. So if, if Iowa can, or Iowa State, sorry, if Iowa State can play Oklahoma close, win or lose in the regular season, and then win the rematch, that could propel them. But Iowa State feels like a team that isn't going to go undefeated. And take the Oklahoma game out. Let's say that is a loss. I don't even see them going undefeated against the rest of the schedule. Even if I think they're better than all the other teams are going to play, they don't feel like the type of team that isn't going to drop one. So we got those same types of issues in the Big 12. Like, is someone going to dethrone Oklahoma? And you just feel like Iowa State does have a really good chance, but Texas is the team I actually feel has one of the better chances also, and it's the same thing I just said with the Big Ten when I'm talking about Penn State versus like Wisconsin and Iowa. I kind of have the same feeling here. Texas has a talented roster, and maybe all they've been missing is a new head coach. Maybe Steve Sarkeesian uses these good players, right? Texas recruits at a top 10 level, so they're not very far behind Oklahoma when it comes to talent. Can Sarkeesian develop a quarterback, give Texas an offense that's somewhat scary? Of course, it's not going to be what Oklahoma is right now, but that's why I still am leaning Texas maybe being that team. It really all just depends on what Sark can do with that roster, and can they at least get up to Iowa State's level? Either way, though, it's hard to see Texas or Iowa State dethroning Oklahoma because unlike 
you know, Clemson, Ohio State, and Alabama, Oklahoma is one of these more top-tier teams that does return their quarterback, and he's a very good quarterback. Spencer Rattler is the real deal. I don't think he's very mature yet. He didn't seem very mature last year, especially in the beginning of the season. He's young. But keep in mind, this is the first quarterback that's actually Lincoln Riley's quarterback. Lincoln Riley came in and inherited Baker Mayfield when he took over Oklahoma. Then Kyler Murray is also a transfer that comes in. Jalen Hurts is a transfer that comes in. And those players were phenomenal, all three Heisman finalists, right? But Rattler is actually a guy that Lincoln Riley was able to identify at a high school, say, I want you in my program, I see you leading my program, and now he's there and doing it. And he had a pretty good season last year, especially down the backstretch. The beginning, he was a little shaky, as a lot of first-year players, freshmen are, but he looks pretty freaking good. So you only have to assume that the Oklahoma offense is going to be everything it's been the last five years. And also, Oklahoma's defense looks to be taking some steps forward because that's been their big Achilles heel. Their defenses have been terrible. In some of the years, like in 2017 and 18, where they fielded the best offenses you had seen, their defense was just abysmal. If this defense can just take a step to be mid-tier and the offense stays what it's been, Oklahoma could be the best team in the country. They've just been missing that piece. Oklahoma's offense has been so good that you would even sacrifice a little bit of offensive production in exchange for some defensive production, and that would probably put them over the top. So Oklahoma is a very scary team. And if you weren't using the Clemson factor and the Alabama factor where you just assume that no matter what these teams lose, they just reload, you would have to probably bet that Oklahoma's the best of these big power programs coming into the season based on what they actually are returning, of course, at the quarterback position. So we'll see if the defense takes a step forward or if they don't take a step forward, that does leave opportunity for an Iowa State or Texas to play with them, right? Especially Iowa State because Iowa State scores. Matt Campbell knows how to get his team in position to score points. So if Oklahoma's defense is struggling still, and Iowa State can score on them, they get into shootouts, anything can happen in shootouts, especially if maybe Iowa State is ranking up their defense a little bit. So that's kind of how I see the Big 12 shaking out. I know I'm not getting too deep here as we go conference by conference. I'm kind of just sticking at the top and because I'm just trying to see like what can be done this year. The whole you know topic I'm discussing right now is can we see shakeups in the grand landscape of college football as far as teams rising to prominence that maybe haven't as of late? Or are we going to see any of the big dogs fall off of the horse? Those are the interesting questions that I think if you're looking at college football with a really wide lens, you're, you're interested in. So the last thing we can do now is jump over to the Pac-12, which is the most interesting of the Power 5 conferences because unlike the other four, there isn't a clear-cut powerhouse Yes, Oregon is the favorite, and it looks like Oregon should be the best team in the conference this year, but Oregon is not Alabama, they're not Ohio State, they're not Oklahoma, right? They're good, but they haven't accomplished enough to be put in that tier, especially under you know Mark Cristobal. Now, I actually think this is going to be one of the best Oregon rosters we've ever seen. You're a little unsure of the quarterback situation, right? They've got 
Anthony Brown Jr., who's a transfer from Boston College, and he's pretty legit. I think he can run this offense well. The reports out of Oregon's camp is that he's doing pretty decent. And other than that, Oregon's got one of the best defensive fronts, definitely in the Pac-12, led by uh, Thibodeau. He's amazing. He'll probably be one of the top picks in the NFL draft coming up, an amazing defensive end. So they've got him. They're loaded at linebacker. They've got good safeties. And on offense, they've got their running backs back. They've got C.J. Verdell. They've got their wide receivers. I am really high on this Oregon team. I think they're the closest thing to a Big Ten SEC type of team in the Pac-12. But the Pac-12 is tricky this year. And I'm actually more interested in the Pac-12 this year than I've been in a very long time. You've got five teams in the conference that are ranked. Oregon is the highest at 11, right? Then you've got USC at 15. Washington is 20, Utah 24, Arizona State 25. And I think UCLA could be a good sleeper team. We saw UCLA look pretty competent. Yes, it was Hawaii who's not any good, but UCLA looked good. When Chip Kelly first got to UCLA, even if they were playing a team like Hawaii, they didn't look like a competent football team that would scare anybody. And although Hawaii is not good and you can't read too much into that win, Against an inferior opponent, they're running on all cylinders. That's all you can ask from UCLA right now. I think they're going to be a dangerous team in the South. And the Pac-12 North and South are very interesting. In the North, you pretty much have Oregon or Washington. I can't see another team in the North taking the crown. And I think Oregon is better than Washington when it comes to their roster. I think they're deeper. I think their defense is more talented. And... That's a rivalry game. Anything can happen. But the North is probably going to come down to Oregon or Washington. And then the South is really interesting because USC, talent-wise, probably has the best roster in the South. And then you got Utah, who's always a really tough team that plays good defense. They're going to hit you in the mouth, right? I always hear quotes of people saying, it's not fun to play Utah, right? They they slap you around. They hit hard. Arizona State is was this sleeper team. Now, they've lost some of their traction and being that trendy pick due to like the investigation stuff, but I don't know if that's going to matter all that much. They're they're pretty good. I like their quarterback, Jaden Daniels, a lot. He's tall, and uh, he can sling it. I like their wide receivers. I think their defense is coming along. They're, they're one of the deeper defenses in the South, but I don't know if Arizona State or any team in the South, or even Pac-12 for that matter, has the caliber of team that can go undefeated given the fact that the Pac-12 is getting deeper. And that's the problem. I feel like the ceiling for the Pac-12 might just be a Rose Bowl again. It could be very similar to, to in 2019 where you have a team like Oregon. They might only go 10-2, and 11-2, win their conference, but with the two losses be kept out of the playoff. Just like in 2019, Oregon, who's probably the conference's best team, is going out and they're playing Ohio State in week two. And most people don't think Oregon's up to that level yet to be able to match with them, especially on the road. So if Oregon drops that game, now you need them to go undefeated through Pac-12 play so they can get into that conference championship game with just the one loss. And Oregon and most of the Pac-12 teams haven't been able to show that they can do that. The last time a Pac-12 team did that was Washington. And they had the regular season loss in 2016. They got into the Pac-12 championship game with the one loss they won, so they did make the playoff that year before they got beat really bad by Alabama. 
But since then, you've had some teams come close. Like in 2019, when Oregon went to the Pac-12 championship game with two losses, they played a one-loss Utah team, but then they beat Utah. So then no Pac-12 team was able to go to the playoff because of that. And if you, especially if you look at the South, considering you've got three teams ranked in the South and you have UCLA being that sleeper team, I don't see anybody in the South going undefeated. And I'm just talking about conference play. I don't think anybody's good enough to get through the entire Pac-12 schedule undefeated. Realistically, I don't know if anyone in the Pac-12 South can do better than 10-2 and in the regular season. And that doesn't set up well for any of them to get into the Pac-12 championship game and then win and boost into the playoff. So your best bet's Oregon, but with that Ohio State matchup, I don't know. So it's really tricky for the Pac-12. I, as a fan, I'm super excited to watch, and I don't really care if one of their teams makes the playoff or not. I think the conference has taken a step up, which is huge for them. And that might, unfortunately, actually result in a team not making the playoff because of that new depth. It's going to be a lot harder to get through that conference undefeated than maybe it would have been. You know, if Oregon had this talent two years ago, I think they do get through the Pac-12 undefeated, right? So... There's pros and cons to making your conference deeper and stronger, but hey, go talk to the SEC about that. They'll tell you they don't care. They get through it all the time. So again, that was kind of a quick overview of just the landscape of college football. Speaking of Pac-12, actually real quick though, and UCLA, that LSU game week one, that is such an interesting matchup. And I'm actually kind of mad that UCLA looked so good against Hawaii because now that spread has come down a little bit. And I was kind of going to pick UCLA as a, as a sleeper dark pick to beat LSU. And I think I still might. But I think because of how good UCLA did against Hawaii and how you know good they looked, people are starting to do that same thing and pick them. So I don't know if it's as you know, trendy of a sleeper pick. But if you just look at that UCLA game, it's really interesting because UCLA has already played a game. I think in college football, week one is always tricky because unlike the NFL, you don't have preseason games. You're trying to put it all together. You always see the most penalties, the most mistakes in these week one games. And they always say you take your best improvements from week one to week two. That's how college football tends to work. So UCLA already has a game under their belt. I know it was just Hawaii, but that's still very valuable considering the fact that LSU hasn't played a game yet. And LSU had to get out of Dodge this week because of Hurricane Ida. So LSU had to leave Baton Rouge. They had to go to Houston, right? That can present a lot of distractions. Now they go to the West Coast and play their first game against a team that already has a game under their belt. I think this matchup sets up really well for UCLA. And I know that LSU isn't going to be as bad as last year, but LSU was pretty bad last year. So I don't know why everyone just assumes that was such a fluke and they're going to turn it around. Maybe, maybe. But I think this is going to be a really close game. And Chip Kelly's probably been scheming this for a while. And Ed Orgeron is not necessarily the schemer that some of these other coaches are, right? He's a player's coach. He's a motivator. And, you know, the year that he did have schemers, you know, good offensive coordinator and, you know, when Joe Brady and you had Joe Burrow, you saw how good they could be. But we don't know how good some of these new LSU coordinators are going to be. So I'm really, really interested in this matchup. 
And the other reason is, is that it's an SEC Pac-12 game. And if you zoom out and look at week one, and week two even, just the beginning of the college football season, you've got some really interesting matchups with the conferences. In week one, you have Georgia playing Clemson. Two of the better teams in their conferences playing each other. Alabama-Miami. LSU's going to UCLA. A mid-tier game on Monday night, you have Ole Miss playing Louisville. Can you imagine if the SEC lost all these games? That would be a pretty big deal, right? Now, Alabama can save them because if Alabama wins, it kind of all starts and stops with them. There's not going to be much flack. But let's say Miami gets the upset. That would be pretty wild, right? That's the most unlikely to happen. But let's say Miami wins that game against Alabama. There's going to be so much talk about, whoa, what happened to Alabama? What, what does this mean? Is Miami back? Did Alabama take a huge step backwards? What is going on? Well, then later that night, you got the Clemson-Georgia matchup, which could go either way, right? It wouldn't be surprising at all if Clemson beats Georgia and vice versa. But let's just say Clemson wins a really close game, which by itself wouldn't be that big of a deal. But you add all these things together, it could get a little interesting. Well, then later that night, what if LSU isn't back? They don't come back from how bad they were last year, and they drop to UCLA. And then kind of just a little cherry on the cake, what if on Monday night, Louisville beats Ole Miss, which wouldn't be super surprising. I, I would pick Ole Miss in that game, but that's that's a little interesting. Then in week two, you've got NC State going and playing at Mississippi State, which it's not a huge game. And again, by itself, the result of that wouldn't matter that much in this conference debate. But if all these things fall negatively for the SEC, I mean, that's going to be really interesting. This is the best conference. This is the super conference. This is the conference that stole Oklahoma and Texas and is basically forming their own super league. This, this conference created an alliance out of the remaining conferences because they're so scared of them. So I just think it'd be very interesting to see what happens if it goes away. Now, most likely, it's not going to be one or the other, right? The SEC is not going to lose all of those games, I would not imagine. But they're probably not going to win all of them either. But it's it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity for the other conferences to say, hey, no, there is more parity in the conferences than people realize. It's not all SEC everything. It's also an opportunity for the SEC to really put its foot down and say, hey, when we go play other conferences, we dominate. Whether it's our top teams like Alabama and Georgia beating the ACC's better teams, whether it's LSU going out to UCLA, or whether it's you know the middle tier of us playing the middle tier of the ACC with that Mississippi State-NC State game and the Ole Miss-Louisville game. So these are the storylines that I really get excited for in college football. I'm really interested to see how it all plays out this year. And gosh, I couldn't be more excited that we're literally on the cusp of the season starting. So again, Tomorrow night, Thursday, or today, because a lot of you are probably listening to this on Thursday if you're listening, South Florida and NC State play Thursday night. That's interesting. I'm excited for that. And all the games that we get this weekend, it's a great slate of games. I'm going to be in my living room, multiple TVs going at every hour block of the day, taking in all these games. But I'm just excited that Saturday's about to be here, and I'm going to wake up. College game day is going to be on in person. I'm going to see Lee Corso put on headgear again at a stadium on the stage, not via Zoom, and then we get to watch these games unfold. So, all right, I, I've given 
I've talked a lot. I'm going on an hour 20 here. It's a little long. So I'm going to get out of here. That was my take on kind of just the big picture of the season this year, which is what I'm most interested in. Let me know what you guys think. Email the show. Let's talk college football at gmail.com. Questions or maybe you agree with me or you want to give two cents on any of the things I've been saying or just throw new talks at me. Go for it. Let's talk college football. That's what this is all about. Follow that new Instagram page I created, class, College Football Classics on Instagram for old college football game highlights. And it's your last chance to enter to win the two tickets to the Notre Dame Florida State game on Sunday night. Remember, you have to follow me on Twitter. That's at Michael underscore K87. And you got to subscribe to the podcast and or YouTube channel. And then screenshot those things and send them to me either via email or DM them to me on Twitter. And you know what? If you follow that Instagram page, I'll throw that in there as a potential entry also. So do those if you're interested. If not, see you this weekend and let's enjoy it. All right, guys. Talk to you later.